Palloy. Palloy. That means that we uh, are picking up part two, where Ahoy left off in the previous episode. So, welcome back, everyone, to Out of the Main. We have a part two of our conversation with Tristan Bowden. Um, I thought part one was really cool, very yachty, because yeah. we focused on a lot of the Kenny Loggins years. Went through all the Loggins years, yeah. So... Yep, uh, and then eventually we took a shift, and we got, uh, you know, we're going to pick right back up where we started before, and I, and I think you uh, segue over to Chicago, but we even moved beyond Chicago and everything else, not everything else, but a lot of the other stuff that Tris uh, worked on, including a new project that we are breaking news in this episode. How cool is that? Yes, well, what do you say? Without further ado, let's do it. Back to you. Well, we should uh, maybe let's let's look at the Chicago years because the question is gnawing at me. Tom sort of teased earlier, and one of my heroes that I uh, emulated, or at least tried to emulate, I would, you know, my dad had the the tape deck, and I'd had the big cans that covered my ears, and I'd put that on, put all my favorite songs onto a cassette, and play along, and try to learn the licks of these drummers. And one of them was Danny Seraphine. Uh-huh. Seraphine, yeah. And um, I, I'm trying to get what your mindset was, like. First of all, how you got the call to Chicago, and then knowing that you're stepping into shoes of somebody like him that really was unique. He, you know, he didn't play like anybody else. He kind of set his own bar, did his own thing. And so now you're going to be, you know, some of your audience is going to expect you to play what Danny played, but then you're also being hired to play what you play. Right. So what was the psychology? What was it like to have to take that on? And were you hired like to be in the band or did it start off as just a session guy and it evolved from there? So I know there's a lot in there. Well, um, the reason I got the call was uh, they were aware of me from the records that I'd played on. Right. Um, and then Bill Champlin uh, was a big uh, uh, leg up for me because I'd worked a lot with him uh, previously on other records and uh, he liked my playing and, and he had a big voice uh, <laughs> There, uh, uh, <laughs> no pun intended, mm-hmm. uh, uh, in Chicago, and so he recommended me, and uh, and they thought, well, well, let's try it out. So uh, anyway, that's how that came to pass. Um, in answer to how I approached uh, playing those songs, first of all, I should predicate it with. I was already a huge Chicago fan. I'd gone mm-hmm. to the Shrine Auditorium. I've told this story a million times too, to see Pearl Call Harem and this unknown band named CTA was opening the show, right? And I walked in at 16 and heard this band and went, man, that's a, might be the greatest band I've ever heard in my life. And the, you know, incredible drummer on fire, amazing yeah. vocalist from the bass player and the keyboard player and the horns and, and all. I would have never imagined I'd be the drummer <laughs> one day, you know? So um, I, I was already a big fan and couldn't wait for that first album to come out because I'd heard them before the album, you know? Uh, so real quick, just cause I don't even know the answer. What was, what did CTA stand for at the time? Chicago, Chicago Transit okay. Authority. Other people probably yeah. knew that, but I did not. Oh, yep. okay. I'm That's sorry. okay. Right. Youngin. I know. You know. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. I envy you. you well, I, I, uh, I envy everyone else's youth. But go ahead. Continue. <laughs> so anyway, uh, when I first joined the band, I fully intended to, to keep, uh, you know, 
most of what Danny had done, at least my interpretation of what, what that was, intact. But and in rehearsals, they said, listen, don't worry about what Danny did. Make it your own. In fact, we would like to hear hear your interpretation. So, so I I did. I I inserted you know here and there things that I thought you know of my own that that would fit. Uh, but then I came to realize as time went on that it was like Danny's playing. It was as important to that music as the horns and any other. Uh, part of that music in fact maybe even more so like the fill at the end of uh, the ballet and that sort of thing I saw you play with them. It was either, it was, would have been the same time, probably the same tour that you guys were recording that live album, the first live album you were on with them. Oh, okay. And to me, the big test was the ballet. How were you going to play the ballet? Ah. And I, I loved the balance. I loved the way you, just what you're describing. You kept what would be considered the, quote, important things that Danny played and the things that a drummer or even somebody who really lived and breathed those songs it, we're, we're expecting to hear, oh. you know, but you, but it wasn't like you were just carbon copying it. So I thought you struck a great balance with that. Oh, thank you so much. I, I really appreciate that. <laughs> thank you so much. And I came in, you know, to be picky. I, you know, I can be cynical sometimes. So I came in expecting, oh, I'm not going to like this new guy. I'm not going to like this guy. I can vouch yeah. for that. Yeah. That's the <laughs> state of mind he would have been in. I wasn't even there, but I... <laughs> <laughs> But then Chicago 21, uh-huh. now it, it, it says that uh, the credits showed that another drummer played on some of the stuff. Um, John Keane? John Keane. John Keane, yeah. Great drummer. But, Great. but either way, when, when you were cutting that record, Ron Nevison producing, it was a lot more big kick, big snare, um, not a whole lot of you know articulation and stuff. Was it kind of a... Uh-huh. I mean, it seemed different from what you had been doing with Kenny and what you would have been doing live that suddenly you're just. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, you know, John, John played some amazing uh, drums on, on that record. There was a lot that was lost in the mix. Um, mm. And, and uh, a lot of grace notes and a lot of, you know, ghost notes yeah. and that sort of thing. Uh, Cause John plays with a lot of finesse too. In fact, there's a track on there called if, if it were you. Oh, that Phil is his? I was hoping that was yours. No, I, I just listened to it yesterday. <laughs> I did learn it. <laughs> yeah, that's great. It's but, so cool. Yeah, but actually, when I was asked to join the band, the album was done. Uh, there was one song that wasn't done, and it was called Explain It to My Heart. And Ron Nevison did not produce that. Oh. That was done by, it was Humberto Gatica and David Foster. Mm, okay. And so, uh, so anyway, I played on that track. And uh, uh, and it was released as a single. I, I really think if it had been released as the first single uh, earlier on, yeah, it would have it would have uh, probably been a hit. It's just Diane Warren was so hot then, you right? Know, too, and right. Great, 
great song, great ballad, power ballad. And uh, even though the tide was kind of turning, you know, there was like right about that time, there was this enormous backlash to corporate rock. You know? Exactly. But then, but then the next album, you got to be a swing uh, drummer, right? Isn't that when Night and Day was that the next one? Well, well, it was, but we cut the the album that I'm most proud of of my time with Chicago was called Stone of Sisyphus, and we did that in between 21 and the big band album. Okay, and Peter Wolf uh, produced that, and Peter, being the brilliant musician that he is uh, and producer, really pushed us. Push the horns, push Jimmy to, yeah. you know, really inventive charts. Pushed me to go ahead and, you know, spray, you know, yeah. like bring it. Don't like dumb it down for the studio. So uh, anyway. And even uh, the ballad on that, Bigger Than Elvis, was a great song. Oh, wasn't that a great Love tune? That. Yeah, Love yeah, that. yeah. I heard rumors that there's a vinyl issue coming of that, a reissue. I heard that Friday Music might be doing that. I heard that recently, too. Okay. If there is, I'm getting one. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it's the same same people that did the uh, vinyl of Night and Day. Uh, I think so. Yeah. Uh-huh. Did you? Um, I, I wanted to point out for some of our listeners that uh, I know some people. You know, Chicago had so many different eras, but there was the early era, and then there was the sort of the corporate pop era, and then the era beyond. And um, for people that want that really long for some of the early sensibilities of Chicago with this newer group, the one you guys did what in 2018, I guess 36, the one called now, Oh, yeah. that is such a fine record. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that people need to look that up, especially if you want some of the, the uh, sophistication of the early Chicago records done. It's like, that it's all in there with different players, of course, than what were around then. But that one is a standout record, I gotta say. Well, thank you. Yeah, I'm uh, glad you feel that. I way. would say the same thing yeah. about, and I have said the same thing about, by the way, the Christmas stuff. Did you play on any of the Christmas stuff? All of it? I did all of it up until the the most recent one that they did shortly after I left in 20. 20- 19 it's some of my favorite listening around christmas time because it's like john said it's kind of got a modern sound but it still has some chicago dna in it and it's so you, you that adds to the nostalgia of the christmas tunes it's i mean i can't highly recommend it enough so i just did oh man well thank yeah. you thank you yeah yeah it was fun to do uh, particularly chicago 25 the first one you know mm-hmm. uh, just because it was the first one we did. First one, yeah. Band had ever done. And then later, uh, Keith Howland and I collaborated on a, a tune that became the title for the next one, I guess. What's it going to be? Uh, Santa or whatever. Yeah, that's right. Yes. Uh, yep. that was, Keith was the guitar player. Right. Those that, you're right. That maybe, yeah. Yeah. That's a, it's a neat story if you don't know how, how he joined the band. I uh, Most Chicago fans already know the story, so I won't bore you with it. Well, I haven't heard it, so bore me with it. Mm. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, 
it, it's really poetic justice because uh, Keith's family, entire family, his mom, dad, his brother, who's a drummer, an excellent drummer, uh, and Keith would make religious pilgrimages to go see Chicago when they would come to town. Uh, he's originally from Richmond, Virginia. And uh, so uh, year after year, they'd go, go en masse to see the band, right? And uh and Keith was playing in local bands and, and doing well and that. And I, uh, I guess at some point he, he said, I'm going west to seek my, my fame and fortune and, and <laughs> went, went to L.A. And uh, was actually doing uh, cartage uh, for uh, starting out wow. you know, for Andy Brower and setting up Lukather's gear and Landau's gear and those guys. Yeah. <laughs> But they'd hear him play and go, geez, who's this kid? You know, yeah. He's a monster. So anyway, we were looking for a guitar player. Dwayne Bailey had left the band. Um, and we, we were only looking at five by invitation only guitarists, right? Ooh. And uh, they were all named guitarists. I won't name them here. And, uh, and we pretty much had decided on one guy. Uh, but Keith had heard about the auditions, right? So he uh, had met Jason and I some months earlier because he was rehearsing next door to us in the band. And so we'd taken his phone number because he had sounded so good. Anyway, he was calling the management going, I know I'm not invited in that, but you, I, I, you know, give me a chance. So he was sitting there waiting for us the last day of auditions in his car, you know, woodshedding and talked Jason into talking the rest of the guys into letting him audition. <laughs> so he, oh my he came in, we, we actually set up a special day for him. He, he, uh, the next day came in and just killed it. I mean, what did you make him play like 25 or 64 make him do the solo on that? <laughs> that and yeah. everything else too. I mean, you know, not, <laughs> not every song, of course, right. but, but, uh, and he absolutely annihilated oh, it. Wow. Killer. The spirit of Terry Kath, you know, and played 25 and, and, uh, and soloed and yet modernized, you know, and, and, uh, there was just no question. He was the guy he'd lived and breathed it, you know, for so long. So can you imagine that phone call to back? Hey, mom. Guess dad, what, mom? Guess what? <laughs> You're gonna want to get tickets to Chicago when they come to town. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. right. But I won't. I won't be sitting with you. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. That's great. Where do you want to go next, Tom? Well, I mean, is there other career highlights? I know we got to get to the finale. The grand finale is going to be, uh, you have some new projects in the works, but what, what did we miss about your career? I know you played with Steve Vai and who else? Well, I have to say that, uh, that one of the main high points and I've had many, I've been blessed with many is, during the course of my career was, was being asked to play with Al Jarreau for, for about four years. 
from about 86 to right before I joined Chicago, I was kind of dividing my time I, uh, between Kenny and Al, but mostly Al. And Al, that was in the height of his career, and he was huge in Europe, right? And I'd always loved Al Jarreau, and I loved jazz. And, and man, he even though he had success in, in the pop world and, and R&B, he was really at heart a jazz guy, you know. And his band were serious jazz players, too. And uh, so, man, being able to play, uh, you know, at these big places and, you know, like 10,000 seat halls for two nights in Paris, you know, and, and we would break it down from a nine piece band to a trio and do all blues, you know, and you yeah. could hear a pin drop with 10,000 people. Cause you know, they were just so into it, you know, did you have to learn Spain? Yes, I did. <laughs> Another high point of my career was playing Spain in Madrid, outside, in Madrid with Chick Corea on keyboards. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, Chick came because he was in town. He and Al were friends. And uh, Chick, if you don't know, was the composer yep. of that song. Yep. Yeah. So anyway, well, God. All, yeah, that, uh, still- all that Gene Krupa study served you well eventually, right? Well, man, yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, I don't really consider myself a jazzer, but I play at it, you know, I, I think you have to live it to really do it real well, you know, but I love it. I really love it. And I love the jazz ethic and, and, and playing with Al was so different than playing with Kenny. Kenny is spontaneous to a point. I mean, he always comes up with new stuff himself every night. But Al is like that jazz ethic. He is spontaneous all the time. Mm-hmm. And he wants you to be too. And if you hear something in the middle of a tune and you go for it, man, and you and you pull it off, he'll stop singing and just go because like, he's so he's sincere about it. Ladies and gentlemen, Tristan Bowden, you know. And uh it was just it was such a switch for me. It was just really, wow, it was really healthy, plus doing gigs. Yep. Well, with Miles Davis and Jerome and, you know, I mean, all that, all of that, all those wonderful jazz festivals all over Europe, you know. And as a matter of fact, back to Jeff Picaro. I got to tell you okay. this story really quick. Sure. We were in uh, in Ludwigshafen, Germany, uh, at the same time Toto was and staying in the same hotel, playing the same uh, hall too, the same venue. So uh, they all came to see Toto came to see us because he had a night off because we were playing the first night. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, 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 and that after the show, Jeff said, uh, you know, you, you got to come tomorrow night. I was, of course I'm coming to see you guys. So we had the, the night off as well. And he said, bring your sticks. And I said, uh-huh. What? I know this story. Oh, you do. You know this one. Well, well, I know he pulls it on a lot of people because he likes Jeff. Always wanted to be out front for the big encore at the end of playing Africa. Am I right? Am I on the right uh, track here? No. Okay. Yeah. So anyway, so what happened was he said we're going to pull a switch. He played back. Oh, you saying this in the middle of hold the line. It was during the encore, right? Hold the line was the first tune. The encore. So he starts to tune off. And, but we talked about this ahead of time. He said, I want you to start playing the hi-hat pattern, and then I'm going to get up and you get the kick. And 
and then you'll be in. Yep. We mm-hmm. did it. We pulled it off seamlessly. In fact, nobody in the band even looked up. And then Luke looked up and buddy. <laughs> and he came <laughs> Can you imagine that? And, and then Paige, too. And, oh, I couldn't believe it. Oh, that's that. great. It was so much fun. And then I got to play this uh, Motown tune. I'm trying to remember which one it was. Uh, that they were doing in the encore too. But somebody had taken this picture because um, you weren't even supposed to have a camera in there, but somebody was up like with their elbows on the stage and took a picture of Jeff playing tambourine right next to me on his drums. Mm-hmm. And so I, I didn't know that, that somebody had that. Right. And so years later, uh, my cartage company in LA was Drum Paradise, and and Jeff was good friends with Harry McCarthy, the owner. So he had blown this picture up like poster size and given it to Harry to give to me, and uh, it's just the guy Jeff was. Yeah, you know? yeah, cool. And uh, and so anyway, I recently this is like from 1986 too. I. I, in one of our moves, my wife and I, we found the picture. It was all oh, wow. tube. So I just had it framed. And if it weren't that we're in, in an Airbnb right now, I'd take you to do it to the picture and show you. But <laughs> we don't have a home at the moment. Our home wow. being built, you know. So, yeah. So uh, anyway, but but uh, yeah, supposedly he always liked to dance. He always he he hated being behind the kit all the time, so he always wanted to dance oh, according yeah. to his book. And so that was part of their gig, their stick that they would find somebody, some ringer or like they. I guess they had a roadie that could play well enough, uh-huh. so that Jeff could come out and play tambourine and dance for uh, the final encore, typically being Africa. Africa. But so you were the sucker that <laughs> night, I guess. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. All right. Yeah, well, that was a blast. That's a great story. That's fun. Yeah, it was really fun. Well, Tris? Jeff and I were really close. We knew each other for... Oh, that's oh, cool. that's great. Way, way back, yeah. Well, Tress, I was just going to say, you know, the reason John and I started this podcast, we didn't even fully know exactly what Yacht Rock was when we started this, but we knew enough that we uh-huh. knew, wanted to uh, know more. It had really three missions. One is to go back and celebrate the stuff that we forgot we forgot. Two is to unearth some things that maybe we didn't know even existed. So we've talked a little bit about both of those today. But the last thing is to go out and celebrate and yep. find what's happening nowadays. So we teased this earlier. So you've got a project that you're working on with some Yacht Rock uh, royalty. Is that right? What, what do you got going on? Uh, yes. Yes, I do. And I'm very, very, very proud and excited about this. Um little bit of backstory. Greg Bissonette, the great drummer who's, who plays with Ringo and has played with everybody, and that's a dear friend of mine as well. Um, he and Jeff were close as well. Um, anyway, I got a call out of nowhere. Um, we were planning on going to see Ringo uh, and see Luke, because Luke was playing with him, and see Greg and my pals that are with Ringo. So Greg calls uh, just before we're getting ready to leave, and he says, I don't want to say anything, uh, uh, but there's a chance you might be sitting in tonight. I was like, what? <laughs> he said, yeah, there's a, uh, I want you to look at uh, Give Peace a Chance, and uh, um, 
with a little help of my friends. We do them back to back. So go on YouTube and check it out. So I'm like, whoa, geez, I got to learn the arrangements. You know, so so my wife is driving to the venue and I'm studying YouTube, you know, with headphones trying to. Uh, anyway, uh, I got to play Ringo's drums with Ringo and it's, I'm, I still haven't watched since, <laughs> right. you know, myself <laughs> too. But um, on the way back, my wife said, you know, that whole concept is so cool. The Ringo, Ringo's all-star band. She said, she had had a brainstorm and said, you know, with all the records you've done, with all the people you know, and particularly in the yacht rock genre, you know, by rights, you could put something together like that. You know, only it'd be like yacht rock people. Mm -hmm. God, that might be really fun. And particularly, you know, seeing all these different bands now, like Yachtly Crew <laughs> and, and, uh, oh, and Yachty you know, by Nature. Yachty, Yachty by Nature. Know, and all these yeah. guys doing big venues, yeah. you know. So um, anyway, I started making a few phone calls. And uh turns out there's a bunch of guys who were really interested. So I've got this band. Vernon Porter on bass, who did the High Adventure album, the Immensely mm -hmm. Clear. Yep. Uh, he and I are sort of the core of the thing. But I recently enlisted Michael Polo, the great saxophonist, who's in uh, star in his own right, who was with Al Jarreau for years and has recorded with everybody uh, in the yacht rock genre, as well as being a star in his own right in the soft jazz or smooth jazz. Mm -hmm. Yep. And uh, Bruce Bollinger on guitar, who was with Boss Gags for years. And yep. Anyway, so the, the whole concept was you either had to have played on a, a record with, with one of those artists in the Yacht Rock thing yep. or toured with them. So we're holding to it. And the band was sounding incredible after five rehearsals and then the zombie apocalypse. Yeah, right. right. So, so everything got put on hold. Well, since that time, um, Vernon Porter had lost a daughter some years ago to opioids. And uh, so he and a guy named TJ George from Columbus, Ohio, uh, who also had had lost a child or has, has a child in trouble had this this concept of putting together to some uh, a a musical project to benefit recovery from opioids right so he he came to me and said hey, would you like to get involved with this and I said absolutely and he said would you mind making a few phone calls so I said, not at all so I called Michael McDonald. And I called Richard, well, actually Bill Champlin. Mm -hmm. I called Bill Medley. Oh, wow. And now Richard Page is involved. Yes. And we went in the studio and absolutely killed these, these tunes, these new songs that My Michael sings one, Richard Page uh, uh, donated a song that he'd actually recorded before, but he we do a new version of with him singing and, uh, and Champlin just annihilated this funk tune <laughs> as you know, only Bill can. Uh, yes. I know very well, actually. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, man. 
So anyway, it's turned out to be incredible. It's being mixed right now. And we're real excited about it. But all proceeds are going to be going to recovery from opioids, which is like, you know, geez. Uh, I heard a figure the other day that this past year through the pandemic, we've lost 90,000 lives to, to opioid abuse and deaths. You know, so we'll make sure we don't miss out on this when this comes out because we want to. Yeah, when is it scheduled to release? Like any idea? Well, we were hoping to have this like completed, completely done by mid July, but it's of course taking a little longer. So, uh, with everyone's schedule, but it's being mixed right now. Oh, Lenny Castro just happens to be the percussion. Just yeah, wow, Toto and everybody else. Yep. So. Yeah, and he was wow. uh, he heard the tracks and just went, oh boy, Jeez, this is huge <laughs> news. We're breaking. Yeah, well, yeah. I feel like we're breaking I, it because I haven't heard anything about this project till just now. I had not this even- is the first I've told anybody in the press or in cool. the weirds, <laughs> right? So, yeah. and the other thing is, is that my band is going to continue on, and we're going to start performing. Uh, Great. And I'm so excited about it. I mean, it's uh, we have uh, an incredible singer, Jeff Gunn, who sung on everything from um, uh, Two and a Half Men on TV to all the oh yeah, stuff. Yep. And, uh, incredible vocalist. And in fact, all the vocals in the band are really strong. So, uh, and I'm sure you know we'll have guest stars coming in and. and Bill Champlin is in this yeah. said he, he'd like to come and sing too. So once we start performing live, I'll let you guys know too. Yeah. Will there be some sort of tour to, or will you just do a few cities and shows? What are you thinking? Well, uh, it depends on, on how it goes. If, 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 if the response is such that it would merit doing that, then we're going to do that. We're going to take it all away. Oh man, that's because, huge. Huge. Yeah. Um, so, so far it's a Tristan Bowden yacht stars. Love it. <laughs> All right. We like that. All right. Well, write down the word Detroit somewhere on a memo pad. So you make sure you get up our way so we can see it. I loved, I love Detroit. My God. And Pine Knob is still one of my favorite places. to. That's play where I saw you. Yep. <laughs> mm-hmm. I love it there. What, what do they call it now? DTE. DTE. Yeah. Us old timers still call it Pine Knob. It'll always be Pine Knob. Right. Yeah. Always be Pine Knob. <laughs> well, this has been awesome. John, is there anything else you want to ask? I mean, this is your opportunity. You're talking to a legend of Yacht Rock and oh, a fellow my. drummer at the same time. I know. I think we, we covered most of my stuff. Um, Before we let you go, Tris, so you've, you've uh, graced us with a lot of fun little anecdotes and behind the scenes. Is there one left? One of your favorites that you want to leave our listeners with, and then we'll uh, we'll let you get on out of here and record more Yacht Rock. Is there anything interesting about the Richard Marks track that you laid down? Well, I tell you, uh, the song that I played on was actually his first number one record, and it was called called Hold On to the Nights. Nice. Oh, okay. And and uh, I, if you remember the record, I actually don't come in until after the bridge, mm. and. Uh, and it's this big bombastic film. Yeah. <laughs> it's like bordering, in fact, maybe stepping over the line of tasteless. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm going to go back and listen to that. I got to take yeah. that in. But uh, I started kind of civilized enough, but then, and here's why I did it. 
Um, I, I went for the, you know, the classic session, big ballad guy, uh, Phil, you know, that was safe, but, you know, and appropriate. But uh, Richard said, you know, that's great on the talk back, Mike. But he said, why don't you do something a little more Tris? So, <laughs> so I went, okay. So I did this thing that, well, you guys, yeah, you'll you'll hear a few. Yeah, we're gonna play it. Yeah, okay. <laughs> And then uh, there's this nice little vamp out that's kind of ethereal, and I do my best Steve's dad in the impersonation, like I did at the intro of This Is It. But yeah, there's there's one. Yeah. That's, some cool. that's a great one. Well, I knew you had at least one more in you, and uh, if you want to come back on when you're promoting a tour or this record, uh, you're more than welcome to join us. We'll get some more out of you then. How's that sound? That's great. And thank you, you guys. I really, really had a good time. Thank you. Yeah, so much fun. doing it again. Yeah. All right, everyone. By the way, you might you might think this is interesting. So have you seen all these people say keep the fire constantly? Uh, that means, like, let's revive Yacht Rock. Let's make sure it stays alive. And it's directly. Oh, I can't say yeah, it's directly a reference to keep the fire. So that's what that's from. Man, I love that. I love that. Yeah, I, I, that being my favorite album that I was a part of with Kenny, I think, you know. I mean, I'm proud of all of them, but that's great to hear. So it would only be appropriate for us to uh, log off this episode by telling Tris to. Keep the fire. Keep the fire. <laughs> you guys yeah. keep the fire. <laughs> that's, what we're trying, that's what we're here for. All right. Yeah. Cool. Well, thank you for doing it, too. I'm telling you, because you are keeping the fire. Appreciate it. So long. I guess all that's left to do now is a very quick lightning round. Cue the sound effect. All right, I'm going to start this one because this is going to be really quick. This is more about how has our knowledge of this evolved and or aged. Uh, I didn't go back and do the research, so I don't know exactly whether you had this song in Float Your Boat or Buried Treasure. I don't think this was considered off the map. So if it was in one of those two categories, that means at least to some degree you might deem it close to yacht. Do you want to revisit and maybe change your opinion of Bob Seger's Still the Same? Uh, revisit based on what yes. you know now. Uh, yes, I do. I would not consider that yacht rock by the uh, strictest standards, the official standards. Is that what you're asking me? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, because I think you kind of were maybe thought it was at least, right. at least near the. Perimeter. I mean, there's no jazz and there's no R and B elements to it. However, um, it's staying on my playlist. So if you're asking me to make that edit, that's a new. Uh, so, anyways, okay. It's uh, in my playlist is more broadly probably West Coast AOR than it is strictly yacht. So. So you're gonna keep, you're gonna play both yep, sides of the I fence. I think so. Still. Good. Still. Okay. All right. All right. Your turn. Well, I can, actually, you're gonna make me change my uh, <laughs> off the map. No, actually, that is a good setup oh, to my no. off the map. All right. But uh, for <laughs> this is a this way off the map. Uh, this is the float your boat float segment, your boat though. thing. I know. But um, okay. Do you think there's anything by Cher that would float your boat? Not remotely. No. <laughs> Check out the song "Prisoner," written by David Page, and has all the yachty personnel. I'm your prisoner. You got me chained up to your love. I'm your prisoner. Someone better free me from this 
I'm still kind of a no. I, I hear the worth gets closer because it's got some of that R&B funk bounce to it, but it still doesn't feel like Yacht yeah. Rock to well, me. It was uh, for me. I had I was practically today years old when uh, I found out this even existed. It's an album from 1979. Just real quick, the personnel: uh, Jeff Beccaro on drums, uh, David Page on piano, and he wrote that song. Victor Feldman, Paulino DeCasto, Jerry Hay on the horn arrangement. So uh, Steve Lukather on guitar, David Williams. Uh, Pretty yachty personnel. I gotta at least give this a second it's, look. It's definitely yachty personnel for sure, but it doesn't feel like they're going for like the per, the the precision of a yacht tune as much as it feels like a funk jam in a way to me. All right. Well, um, then let me. So that means you are up. Yeah. Buried treasure. My buried treasure is. Um, I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to. Change. I have, I have another one that just kind of came into my playlist. It's on my own playlist, so I absolutely knew it, but I don't think it gets played nearly enough. And since uh, since Tris mentioned El Jero, okay, I am going to say that we need to unbury this treasure, and that's distracted. Well, there was a deep to long away with a song shot the toe to even the lonely. Yes, I really, really was sad and so distracted. Mm, that is. It's got some of your little scat yeah. solo. It's not the scat solo that you uh, brought up for best solos. Non-guitar. No, but that is one of my that is one of my favorites. The horns uh, that Jerry Hay put together oh. for that, especially the latter half. You kind of got to wait for this whole song to sort of simmer and boil before it finally boom hits yep. you. But I love and it. Off the top of your head, is that Picaro on drums? Probably Gad. Probably Gad. Oh, it's just it's killer. I didn't look it up myself, but mm-hmm. all right. What do you have? I have a question about uh, this is a buried treasure, but it's a Robbie Dupree song, and I had written this note down a while back, so I have to revisit it in real time here as well. But the song "I'm No Stranger." We're going to jump forward to the solo section, and the question is: Does that remind you a bit of what they were doing? Steely Dan did on the song "Asia." Check it out. <laughs> Doesn't that feel inspired by Asia? Yes. I think inspired by, not derivative of, but inspired by. They're probably like, that was so cool when they did that. We should try something. Like, remember when they did? That's kind of how I feel it happened. Yep. Yep. Cool. That's really cool. That's a good tune, too, isn't it? It is. The whole album. Yep. All right. What do you have for Off the Map? Well, this one, it ties back to uh, Tris. So this is actually the album before he joined. Joined uh, Chicago or album, Kenny Loggins? Chicago. Okay. Excuse me. You're, that's correct. Chicago. So the, 19 was the last album before he joined. And this is one of those albums that has just an absolute gem at the end. And I, w- I was kind of looking for a Chicago song that I could kind of put in for Off the Map. And I remembered how much I liked this song off at 19 called Victorious. And now when I looked it up, I found that it was re- co-written by none other than Mark Jordan. Oh, So suddenly I said, this song, Victorious, has to go on our off-the-map list. Check it out.
that's amazing. So, you know, Mark Jordan, a name we hadn't heard of before, you know, really getting into yeah. Yacht Rock. And now it's, easy, or it's interesting, I should say, to see him pop up in this context. I assume that Robert Lamb had written it because I think it's the only song on that album that he sang. But uh, Mark Jordan. Hmm. All right. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm going to bring this uh, lightning round full circle because you mentioned, uh, for whatever reason, you want to put me on the spot again of Bob Seger. Okay. And I unapologetically hit that one out of the park. Thank you. Well, <laughs> listener Phil is the big Bob Seger fan who gets me into Bob Seger so much. Ah. He's a Detroiter, and he knows I love Bob Seger. He loves Bob Seger. And remember, he submitted Till It Shines as a, uh, I don't know, probably buried treasure, I would imagine. Glenn mm-hmm. Fry played guitar on that. It's a good tune. Whether it's Yachty or not, uh, probably not, but it floats in my boat. So he follows up with me this weekend and says, check this out. A cover of Till It Shines by, this is amazing, Lyle Lovett and Keb Mo. Hit it. Take away my inhibitions. Take away my solitude. Fire me up with your resistance. Oh, put me in the mood. Storm the walls around this prison. <laughs> wow. So, wow, who, uh, you know, first of all, getting Keb Mo and Lyle Lovett together is enough of a surprise, and then telling me they're going to do a Seeger tune. Yeah, okay. it's cool, too. Nice. I love the vibe. It's very cool. Kind of a deep-cut Seeger tune also. Yes, it is. It's yeah. cool. A yeah. buried treasure, if you will. Is that the word you're looking for? Anywho, uh, I guess we should wrap up, right? I think we should. I think we've uh, burned through our allotment of time, and even though we already said keep the fire, I think there's something else we could probably say. Uh, I'll say Poloi if you say Ahoy. Ahoy. Ploy. 